0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman, Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Morning, Harvest. I am looking forward to getting back to a smaller environment. Again, because you guys feel so far away, it's just not the same. Um, But hopefully we'll be back in the high school really soon. Uh, sooner rather than later, uh, because I just like being at the high school. There's so much more room and uh, just so much more closeness. So uh, all of you, a big old group hug from the distance. Um, You are loved. Please remember that. I I wanted to continue with the Legacy Series. Uh, This is a two-parter, and this is obviously the second part. And the big question that I want us to answer is, how do you want your life story to end? And uh, if you know me, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I don't know. Maybe somebody goes, "How can you be a Christian and a pessimist?" Uh, I don't know, but I'm to, I think I do a pretty good job at it, and not in a good way necessarily, because I'm such a pessimist. And uh, when I re- reflect on my life, I tend to remember more of the regrets rather than the joys. Um, and, and for me, the hard part of remembering the regrets is the fact that many of those regrets, I still feel. And I don't know if you're emotive, as I feel like I am. And and again, as I've said millions of times before, as I get older, I I become more emotional. Uh, But I feel those regrets more deeply, because I think about the people that I have hurt, and then I wonder, what does my life, or how does my life affect their life, and how they see Jesus? And so Those feelings become very powerful for me. And so that's why I think in some ways, um, as I reflect on my life, those are the very things that I remember. And I remember things like growing up and being just a jerk. Um, I don't know how many of you can say the same thing in your lives. Maybe you're good kids. Maybe you're church kids. Uh, But I wasn't a very nice person. And uh, I regret things that have been done in the past to people who are way back like 40, 50 years ago and still remembering and reliving those moments. Uh, I think about the regrets that I have of things that I have said and done as a husband, things I have said and done as a parent, things I have said and done as a pastor. And uh, so many times I just shake my head and go, boy, man, I I really blew that one. That was huge. Uh, Wish I could do that over again. And if I could, there are a lot of things that I would do over it. And, And then I start reflecting on decisions that I've made And I think about when I was at Moody, as I was explaining to somebody the other day, uh, I spent so much time hanging around with the kids my age, which, of course, makes sense. Uh, On my floor, we had a blessing. We had like four or five guys who were in their 30s. And my decision to hang around with my peers, whom I didn't learn much from spiritually, instead of hanging around with the older guys, who probably could have helped me and guided me in a much more wiser way in my past, I regret that. That's a decision I made. I, I regret uh, a lot of the people that I dated. <laughs> and of course, if they were here, <laughs> amen, brother, we regret it too. <laughs> I can understand that. But, but those are regrets. Things said, things done. And, and just wondering, you know, God, I, I can't believe I did stuff like this. What was wrong with me? And, and then I think of broken relationships. And throughout 56 years of life, the broken relationships and, and how some of those still stick Uh, in my heart uh, like a thorn, and they poke, and they say, this is your fault, or you did this, and you could have done that, and and they just stick there. And and I think one of the biggest things that I regret, especially when it comes to ministry, is that I've spent so much time listening to others rather than listening to God. Now, I don't know, are are you depressed yet? (laughs) So they go, my goodness, how do you live your life all day long? All you think about is regret, 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 regret. And, and in a sense, I'm going to be honest with you, I've embraced regret as a friend uh, in a good way because regret reminds me when I'm about to do that stupid thing that I've done in the past, I remember what's happened and I don't. So in some ways for me, regret has become a friend, but re- regret has also become a guide because to me, the beauty of the gospel is that I can take these regrets and they lead me to Jesus. Jesus. Because I'm reminded of how much of a sinner I am, how much of a sinner I've been, and how much of a sinner I could be in the future. And, and to me, that's the beauty of the gospel. The fact that Jesus looks at someone like me, the, the fact that Peter can, I mean, that Paul can even write in First Timothy and say, you know, chief of sinners, am I? And uh, I'm glad uh, I'm a little bit higher than Paul on that one, but I'm pretty close. Because I feel with all the things that I know and and all the things that I should be doing and yet not and failing, I can still come to Jesus and say, here I am. This is the person that you chose to be a part of your family by mercy and grace. This is awesome that all of these regrets, all of these failures, when laid at your feet, that you pick them up. You not only forgive them, but you cleanse them. And so so for me, it's like, wow, the gospel is so beautiful because it takes the weak and gives them something that they don't deserve. And, and I really, uh, the, as, if there's a redemptive story that I really enjoy, like I mentioned last week, it's the fact that God has actually redeemed me, which doesn't make sense to me at all, but I'll take it. Now, last week was the pessimist's view of ending your story looking at, Uzziah and thinking, you know, my pride can trip me up and uh, the sin that I have and the consequences of that sin can really make me look at life and go, I blew it. Today I want to look at uh, uh, Paul writing to Timothy and I want us to see that there's hope that you don't have to live fully in regret over and over again, but that you can actually finish this race that we have before us and actually cross the finish line. And to kind of give you a a picture in your mind, before I came to Harvest, uh, I ran a mini triathlon. Now, I know you're all looking at me going, yeah, that was a long time ago, bro. (laughs) But I did. I actually, I I did this mini uh, triathlon, and um, it was a very interesting triathlon. The first 300 feet or 350 feet or whatever it was, was swimming. Anyone know my swimming skills? Just guess. I cannot swim. I'll tell you what I did. I walked. I walked in the water for 350 feet, and there was a point where one of the lifeguards, because there's, you know, the old people go first, and I was in the older category, and the lifeguard said, Hey, you fat guys, this is a swim. Start swimming instead of walking. So I was embarrassed, and so I lowered myself, and I did this to pretend like I was swimming. I did the bike part right, and the last two and a half miles as I'm running, Some little kid runs by me. Now think of the math. There's like five or six sections of people. I'm the first one going. And the little kid who's in the last section runs past me. Because I was walking. I couldn't do it. I was tired. And I said, you know what? If he can finish, then I'm going to finish. And I ran those last 200 yards like I've never run before. Because I wanted to finish strong. And I think that's the message that Paul gives to us, you can finish strong. See, I often think I'm just lucky that if I get to the finish line and Jesus pushes me over, I'm happy. But that's not the message that Paul would give us to live by. He wants us to know that we can finish and finish well. So let's read these verses. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. I'm going to read them off here because the print is bigger. And this is what Paul writes. He says, as for me, My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, let me share a few thoughts on this, and hopefully I get these right. It's interesting because as I'm reading commentaries, one scholar says what Paul is saying here when he says, my life has been poured out as an offering to God, refers to the Romans and their sacrificial system, and another one says to the Jews and their sacrificial system. But in the end, what he's saying is, when you're poured out, this last cup of wine means the offering's over. This is it. This is the top. Let me put it as a a simple example. Um, For me, I know breakfast is over when I've had dessert. You know what I mean? Like, I have to have chocolate for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. And to me, that signifies the end of the meal. Now, I'm not trying to trivialize what Paul's saying, but when the sacrifice is made and you pour out that cup of wine, it's over. That's it. It's done. The movie credits have rolled. The movie's over. Done. Move forward. Finished. So Paul is speaking in this language It's all over basically. Now, it's not the end. It might not be like the next day or the next week for Paul. It might be a few more months. But he knows he's not going anywhere and death is coming. It's inevitable. And that's why he says those very words The time of my death is near. It's coming. It's going to happen. I am dying soon. Then he says, Now listen, I know I'm dying. I know the end is coming. But I want you to know this, Timothy, because When I go, I want you to persevere. I want you to keep moving on. I want you to be strong in the Lord. Understand this, Timothy. If I can do it, you can do it. Because the grace of God that has brought me to this place is the same grace of God that's going to bring you to the place that you need to be. So understand, Timothy, it's not just me. I'm not a great apostle who finished because I'm a great apostle. I'm a great sinner who finished because of a great God who had much grace and mercy poured out upon me to give me the strength in my weakness so that I can in the end of my life say I have fought the good fight. Now the idea here of fought or fight is of agony. How many of you guys have seen the Rocky movies? It's kind of like that. Uh, There's two agonies when you watch a Rocky movie. The first one, and my, my son Tim was watching uh, Rocky one the other day. There's the agony of watching the acting, horrible acting, man, it's just brutal. I, I, I'm watching it, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I have no idea how I like this movie. But you know, back then in the 70s, which was a long time ago, and some of you guys didn't even like know the 70s at all. But it's the brutal. It's brutal. But the the, the thing that you long for is the fight scenes. And the agony and the brutality and the, this, the continuing, and the thing that, you know, it stirs my soul, which is weird is that the end of this, when both of these guys have beaten themselves literally to a pulp that they end up in the hospital, that you go, yeah, that's agony. Those guys fought. They fought to win. Neither one of them. I'm not giving up. You crazy? No way. It's like if you're running a race with somebody and you're running with them and they keep saying, I'm fast. Then you know you're not. And then there's back and forth and back and forth and back. and forth. It's an agony, the fighting. And Paul's saying, I agonized. I have agonized. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. See, Paul's saying, it's all done. It's over. I finished the race. I did it. I made it because of the grace of God, and I have remained faithful. You see, the the fight that Paul fought was a a fight on many fronts. There's that spiritual battle that he fought that we find in Ephesians chapter 6. What do you see in Paul? Paul is fighting not flesh and blood, but rulers and powers and authorities, all kinds of spiritual beings that are fighting to keep him from knowing God and making God known. If you look again, if you get to Galatians and you see Paul writes about the fight of the flesh that's going on, the fight between the flesh and the spirit, the constant battle. I I empathize with Paul because I feel like all throughout the day, all I do is like here I am sitting in my sin and, and like, wow, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly the spirit speaks and goes, no, what are you thinking, you fool? And then I go, oh, man, I've got to give in. I've got to surrender. I've got to experience God. And all day long, it's a push and a Should I be angry? Should I not be angry? Should I forgive? Should I give mercy? <coughs> all that fighting that's going on. And then seeing that Paul does what in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Shipwrecks, beatings, left for dead, concerns about the churches, concerns about people in and out and all over the place. And so his whole life is one big, huge battle. And how does he end it in Romans 8? He says, but for the love of God, we are more than conquerors. Not, oh man, we got conquered. We got beat. We just crossed the line. He says, no, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. You see, Paul is is telling us there's hope. The optimist says there is hope as much as you struggle through life. As difficult as it is, because of the grace of God, you can be faithful. He is faithful. He will bring you to where you need to be. And the cool thing is, and Paul finishes with this, and listen now, (coughs) he says, now that it's all over, a prize awaits me. This crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return... It is a prize that's not just for me, but for all who eagerly look towards his appearing. Paul gives us hope. How do you want your life story to end? When I think of Uzziah, I think of, you know what, I need to be careful of my pride. I need to be careful of my selfishness, my tendency to live for me. I need to be careful of all of those things. I need to be careful of the regrets that I might have in life because of the things I say and do and the decisions I make. And that can, in a sense, create hopelessness. But Paul says even in the midst of that, there is hope in our sin, in our sinfulness, in our desire to live for ourselves and not live for God. What Paul says is Christ is greater than all of that. He is greater than all of that. And so no matter where you are today and what you're thinking today and how you feel about your life, Christ overcomes that. Paul gives us the hope that we can finish well, not because he is great, because it is simply the work of God in him and him joining Christ in that work to see that a man who could call himself the chief of sinners could get to the end of his life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now God will reward me. Let me finish with this. You heard that right. Let me finish with this. Let me apply it. The word I want you to leave here with is fight. Agonize. Agonize, fight. Fight, agonize, agonize, fight. That's how I want you to leave thinking. Because if you want to get to the place where Paul is, you must fight for it. You cannot drift into it. The Christian life is not called the holy drift. It is a war. It is a fight. It is a battle. You must fight for this if you want it. Here's what I mean. Bible reading. Don't raise your hands. But if you're like me, you probably struggle with your Bible reading, right? How you kind of think to yourself, man, I can think of stories on TV. I can think of great novels, things that are much more interesting than Scripture. You got to fight for that. Oh, that's not going to help. Never does. It's something deeper. It's a deeper issue. It's a throat issue. We need an ENT here. Any ENTs? Alex is pro- the one day Alex doesn't come, you know. You've got to fight for it. You've got to fight for it. I'm doing a Bible reading. We're doing the Bible reading program, as you know, and I'm doing it with Leon and Zach and uh, someone else's name won't be mentioned. But it's a fight to get to the places that you need to get. But you've got to fight for it. I'll tell you one thing about me. If I don't fight to read my Bible, I can see it within 24 hours. My heart gets harder and colder and meaner. I have to fight to read God's word. You have to fight to read God's word. If you want to get to the place where Paul is, you just have to do it. You, have to, you don't want to do it? I'm too tired or whatever, but you have to do it. We don't really get days off from the spiritual battle. It's not like our spiritual enemy says, hey, dude, this Sunday. All good. Let's all rest and be at peace. You got to fight for it. You got to fight to pray. More than just for dinner or what else. It, it's, you really have to fight for it. Sometimes I even have to get on my knees because it's on my knees that I begin to recognize this is really something serious. And other times I can't sit still and I have to walk, but I have to fight to pray. You know why? Because when I'm lost in my own thoughts, I think about, oh, poor Frank. Oh, terrible Frank. Oh, this Frank. Oh, that Frank. And I've got to fight for it. And the beauty of it all is that so often, more regularly than not, the Holy Spirit breaks into my pity party and says, bro, Stop stop. You got to fight to pray. Sabbath. How many of us really spend time in Sabbath and even solitude and reflection? You have to fight for it. It's not just going to happen. It's not walking down the street and boom, God speaks and says, wow, this is great. Let's move forward. But it's in those times of silence and solitude that you have to fight for. If you're like me, you sit down and when you start to get silent, suddenly, oh, I got to do this. Oh, i got to do that. Oh, i got to do this. And suddenly I'm in any and every direction that I'm not supposed to be when the Spirit says you got to fight for it. You have to fight to be reflective, silent, before God, listening to His direction. you got to fight for it. You have to fight for caring for people. You have to fight for caring for people. I mean, one of the things, I, I, I read an article, Pastor Dave sent it to us, very discouraging article. Not, not, and again, it's not saying that, you know, Pastor Dave Sunday was discouraging, but it was discouraging because he was making a point. (coughs) And the guy who was writing was saying, you know what, we look so much for community. And then when we have this idealized picture that never gets realized, we get disappointed and we say, the church has let me down. And then if you're like me and you watch TV, like I watch all these shows, I'm a crybaby now. Every show I seem to watch has some emotional moment about family and stuff. And I get angry. I cry and then I get angry because then I say, why can't the church be like this? How does Hollywood understand people need love and community? And they... Glom onto that and they push that over and over and over again about love and love and love and you go to church And how many of us walk away from church feeling judged? And so we have to fight for caring for people Even if people are going to judge us, I will still care. I don't care what you think about me But I shall still care you have to fight for that because if you're like me It's a lot easier to retreat and withdraw and say forget it. I don't need you We have to fight to care Peacemaking. We have to fight to be at peace with one another. Not just to be at peace so we feel good about our conscience, but to really fight for that. Because even Paul in Ephesians 4 says what? Make every effort agonize. Fight to be at peace. That's God's will. Paul's fight is not unique to him. Unless you are delusional... Or very, very spiritual, Paul's fight is not unique. It's something that we all face day in and day out, if you're gonna be honest. Or maybe I'm just wrong. But I know for me, and I like to preach to myself as I'm preaching to myself, Paul's fight is not unique day in and day out, sometimes minute by minute. Sometimes in the middle of the sermon, I have to fight. Because the spiritual battle that we are in is incredibly powerful, difficult, and hard. We need God. We need God's grace. Now, if you think about it, Uzziah's story ended miserably. And he never repented and ended up living in the consequences of his sin. Not only till the day he died, but even at his burial. But I think of Manasseh. The worst king ever. The very king whom God says, because of you, Manasseh, and your sin, I will send Judah into exile. The worst king ever. How does his story end? Does it end in Babylon there, in prison? No, it doesn't. He repents, and he believes, and God restores him. That's the beauty of the gospel, That's why I love Jesus so much. It's why I love the gospel because you can be the worst of the worst. Nearing even the end of your life, stuck in a prison of your own sin. And when you say, God, I give up. You're right. I surrender. God can come in and restore. Nothing changes in the past. The past has happened. The consequences are still there. But the future moving ahead. You can rewrite your story. Your story can have a different ending. Uzziah's ends up in a room secluded, isolated, alone. Manasseh's story ends on a throne trying to bring revival to a nation that's slowly but surely dying without God. So the question is, how do you want to end your life story? And I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us to answer that question now. Not later. Now. Because later you're not going to think a lot about this at all. I think we need to say, listen, God, I'm ready. I think playing church, being part of a church, all that stuff, we need to come to the place where we can actually say it's not about church. But it's about Jesus. What he wants to do and what he can do. The one word I want you to hold on to is fight. Here's two phrases I want you to think about. Number one, when you meet Jesus in the next life, what do you want to hear? My hope is that the first two words you hear from Jesus are welcome home. I don't know what it was like for Paul, but can you imagine after putting up with all that stuff, fighting through all of that, standing before Jesus, he has his arms stretched out and he says, welcome home. Man, if you're a parent, one of the best things at least I find is coming home. I still love it that my youngest (laughs) screams, dad, when I get home. Man, does that want to crush your heart or what? That is just awesome. And to think that you can magnify that when Jesus says to you, welcome home. Welcome home. This is it, man. Welcome home. So I want to ask, whether you're the oldest or the youngest, have you come to that place where you really said to Jesus, I cannot save myself. Only you can save me. I cannot get past this sin. I cannot get past these sins. I cannot move forward. But only you, Jesus, and in all you have done, can not only forgive it, not only make it clean, but make me brand new. Have you ever come to that place where you said, It's you, Jesus, and you alone. I can do nothing. It scares me to think, and I've mentioned this before, that one day I might stand before Jesus and he says, I never knew you. First two words, welcome home. Last two words, well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have fought the good fight. You have finished the race. You have remained faithful. You ran in such a way to win the prize. You crossed the line in a good way. Finishing with everything in you that you had. Because Paul would say, dudes, when I get to the end here, I have done it. Thank you, Jesus. No self-congratulation, no patting on the back, but a recognition of the mercy and grace of God. I don't know Where everyone is at today, I can only say, are you fighting to read God's word? Are you fighting to pray? Are you fighting to care for people? Are you fighting to fix broken relationships? Are you fighting to do God's will in your life? Are you constantly fighting that stuff within you that comes up and wants to destroy your relationship with God? Or have you said, you know what, it doesn't make a difference anymore because once you saved, you always saved, which is probably a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing too because Paul's encouragement is to fight, not to drift. Are you right now fighting for your relationship with Jesus? Are you fighting in a way that says, you know what? I don't feel empty. I wake up in the morning. I feel totally empty sometimes. And I have to fight to get out of bed and say, here is another day. I need you, Jesus. I need to walk with you, in you. Fill me. Do you fight for that? We don't have to play religion. I hope this could be a place where we don't feel judged. I know that sometimes pie in the sky. But in our weakness, in our confession, it's then we can receive grace. It's then we can receive mercy. It's then that we receive hope. So I'll be honest. I'm not necessarily sure God is so concerned about what has happened in the past. I'm not saying he's forgotten and leaves it behind, all that other stuff. What I'm saying is what's going to happen from this moment forward. Will you be known as someone who fights the good fight? Or someone who simply walks through the fight? Not getting really involved, not getting serious, just enough of Jesus so that everyone can go, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. I believe today that we leave here, hopefully, hopefully, prayerfully, reflectively, with a renewed desire to fight. We just have a few moments of silence. And the words you may simply speak, not mine, yours. Mine for me are, God, help me fight. I must fight. Because there are people out there who need Jesus. And I want to be that vessel. I hope you feel the same way. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.